At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Did you know the best seeds for your garden don't come from the nursery? In fact, the seeds that will create the most robust and delicious fruits and vegetables come directly from your garden. This is because they are uniquely adapted to your growing conditions, better than anything you can buy from a fancy catalog or website. Through the magic of seed saving, it is quite possible to have the garden of your dreams. The best part is, Saving your own seeds is surprisingly easy and fun. With a bit of instruction, anyone can become a seed-saving superstar. Let us teach you how in our free seed-saving webinar. Just text SEEDS to 33444 to sign up or visit SeedSavingHacked.org for more information. That's SEEDS to 33444 or visit seedsavinghacked.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Jody Torpy, author of Blue Ribbon Vegetable Gardening and The Colorado Gardener's Companion, to talk about her experience with blue ribbon vegetables. Jody is an award-winning vegetable gardener, craftsy gardening instructor, and founder and editor-in-chief of westerngardeners.com. In addition to the two books she authored, her garden writing also appears in digital and print media. Since 2010, she organized the annual Plant a Row for Hunger campaign in Denver. Welcome to the show today, Jody. Thanks, Greg. I'm so happy to be with you. I'm glad you're here. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Well, I am happy to do that. I guess I got started when I was little. There are some pictures of me when I was not quite two years old, and I was helping with the gardening chores. Uh So I was watering. Um, Maybe I should say I was (laughs) (laughs) overwatering, but uh, that's how I got my start. Mm -hmm. Those pictures remind me of what an early start I had, and as I grew up, I always had something growing, and when I went away to college, I always had a something on the windowsill at the dorm and mm, nice. after yeah after I graduated and living in all those you know rental houses uh-huh. I would always make sure that there was something growing and some of the things that I remember was uh, being able to grow tomatoes in a window box that I placed in the driveway because that was the sunniest spot oh nice it, to, to be able to grow yeah 
And one year, I remember growing all of my garden in hanging baskets off of a fence because that's the only place that the sun shone. So I just have continued to plant and grow, and uh, along the way, I decided to start writing about it. Mm -hmm. And I guess for about the last 12 or more years, I've been writing about plants and gardens and gardeners and I've been writing about all kinds of gardening topics from xeriscaping to saving water in the garden, mm -hmm. attracting birds, bees, and butterflies, a lot to do with vegetable gardening, especially small space vegetable growing. Yeah, the, the small spaces are really important for a lot of people because that's, uh, <laughs> that's all a lot of us have. And I, from my own experience, I've learned that you can grow just about <laughs> anywhere if you are a determined gardener. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? So you manage, you're editor-in-chief of westerngardeners.com. Tell me about that. Well, I started that website in 2009 mm -hmm. as a resource to help gardeners who, like me, grow in a really challenging climate. And it was just a, a wonderful outlet for all things I wanted to write about in growing everything uh -huh. from, um, like I said, xeriscaping to vegetable gardening. And that kind of blossomed into other kinds of writing and being able to write for other websites and other blogs right. as well and really got me started on that uh, my newest book the blue ribbon vegetable gardening yeah we're going to get to that one in a minute because that sounds like a lot of fun <laughs> but before we get there, you, you in your bio, it says an annual plant a row for hunger campaign in Denver, Colorado. Tell me about that. That sounds fascinating. Well, actually, uh, Plant a Row for the Hungry is a national program oh. that's sponsored by the Garden Writers Association. And as a member of the association, I started a local effort in my community to encourage gardeners to just plant a little extra in their vegetable garden uh -huh. and share those vegetables, herbs, and fruits with soup kitchen or uh -huh. a food pantry in their neighborhood to share that fresh bounty with people that might not have access to it. Wow. And every year I uh, solicit donations mm -hmm. from some of our local seed companies in the Denver area that uh, donate thousands of packets of seeds, like Lake Valley Seed was a big sponsor this year. Nice. And those seeds I distribute around the community to anyone that wants them. They're free, and I send them off, and hopefully people <laughs> will have good luck in their gardens, have enough bounty to enjoy and also to share with other people. Wow. So are you involved with the uh, on the other end of this process where they actually have the food and are distributing it as well? No, I uh, don't get that involved in that mm -hmm. part of it. Most of the garden writers uh, write about the uh, plant a row effort and encourage gardeners to donate, but I've taken it a little farther in organizing the the uh, seed giveaways to make sure that that you know people have what they need to start gardening. Yeah, exactly. Wow, fantastic. So and every year, thousands of pounds, thousands of pounds of, of food is donated. Uh -huh. So, uh, so very, I think it's a pretty good effort. Yeah, very good. 
So let's talk about your book. When I first saw the title, Blue Ribbon Vegetable Gardening, I just assumed that you were talking about how to grow, not necessarily how to compete, but you're really talking about how to compete there. So I guess my question is, uh, why should gardeners try to win prizes for their homegrown fruits and vegetables? Well, it connects us to our country's rich agricultural history. Uh And I think that a lot of that has kind of gone by the wayside, that people go to fairs Mm. and they enjoy the midway and the carnival atmosphere. And the really really bad... And the really bad food in the food booth. Right. Enjoy everything that's on a stick and forget that the reason behind fairs dating back to the early 1800s was to help our new country Uh uh, that was trying to become self-sufficient grow the economy. And fairs were a vital part of that whole process Mm -hmm. where farmers had the opportunity to go to fairs once a year, which was a big social event, and see other people, talk to other farmers, learn the newest methods for improving their own agricultural economy as Mm -hmm. well as the economy, the local economy, and then the national economy too. And so these fairs provided that opportunity and the competition is an important part of that because that that allowed the country's vast bounty of fruits and vegetables to become even more diverse because people would go to the fairs and they Mm. would go home from them with the new information and they would try to uh, breed bigger and better crops and grow different fruits and vegetables, different um, introductions of fruits and all kinds of tomatoes and peppers and all the different vegetables that we enjoy today and if it weren't for those fairs we might not have that oh yeah diversity exactly so that's why i think it's important to keep that rich history alive by still competing and trying to win um, prizes and money Mm -hmm. and ribbons yeah yeah so i have this image and actually the reason that i go to the state fair is for the animals and the uh, you know the vegetable displays Mm-hmm. Um, so that's actually the reason I'm going, and I, I go every year or two. And can you just for for people that don't have a picture of what that might look like, can you give us a you know give us a picture of what going to a state fair looks like with the for the food part of it? Well, first, it's an incredible garden challenge, and for anyone who has been gardening for a while, vegetable gardening for a while, and wants to interject some new life into their gardening, Uh the best way is to start early in the season with setting the goal of taking some of your fruits and vegetables to the fair to Mm. to compete, because it's a season-long effort to make sure that you can go to the fair with and enter with a plate of perfectly matched fruits or vegetables that are at the peak of perfection on the day of the fair. Oh, my gosh. and we all know that uh, vegetables don't, <laughs> don't grow cooperate. <laughs> yes, they yeah. don't always grow on schedule, and so it's a real challenge, and it's a it's a fun challenge. It, it the playing field is 
field is completely level, whether you're a beginning gardener or whether you've been gardening for a long time, because we all have to cope with those same challenges. But each fair will have a different set of categories Mm -hmm. for the fruits and vegetables. Right. And uh, usually on their website, there is what's called a show book or a premium guide or a fair book that has all of the rules in it. And it will have all of the categories of the fruits and vegetables and what you need to take to the fair. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you might need to take five hot peppers and they all need to be the same length and the same color and the stems trimmed to the same length and then the judges will go through and compare the entries one against the other and award prizes and ribbons and money to the winners. Well I guess if you were really creative um, and could figure out how to grow something that was really maybe not in season uh, and enter it in the in the fair, and you were the only one entered, you'd probably win, wouldn't, wouldn't one think? Well, it depends if there's a category, because you can't win unless there's, oh, a, there's category a category for you course. to enter, yeah. so you can't get around the rules that way. <laughs> Which is really funny because at uh, the Colorado State Fair one year when I had taken some entries, uh, a, a gardener came in and she had this huge Armenian cucumber. It must have weighed about three pounds. Uh-huh. It was gigantic. And she was looking, she thought that she could enter it in the fair, but there wasn't a category for it. So she ended up carrying a three pound, you know, giant cucumber, cucumber around yeah. with her all throughout the fair. Wow. One of my favorites, by the way, Armenian cucumbers. I love to grow them. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorites. So what about, I mean, we've all seen the giant vegetables like pumpkins and cabbages and onions. Can you talk about that? Oh, I'm happy to talk about that because that's another way that we can connect to the history of fairs. Mm -hmm. If it weren't for one gardener, a guy from Nova Scotia, that uh, drove all the way to Chicago for the 1893 World's Fair with his 300 and, I think it was 383-pound pumpkin. Wow. uh, To show off. We probably wouldn't have giant pumpkin contests today because at that time, Uh that was the largest pumpkin that anyone had ever seen. Oh, my gosh. And you can imagine that uh, all the farmers that saw that 383 pound pumpkin probably went home and thought I can grow a bigger pumpkin (laughs) and so the next year there you know for years after that people tried to top that that weight and finally somebody did crack that code on the genetics of giant pumpkin seeds Uh Howard Dill is his name and Dill's Atlantic giant pumpkin seeds are still winning contests and either the Dill's themselves or a hybrid have uh, set records that are now over 2,000 pounds of pumpkin. For a pumpkin? Yes. That's the new world record. A ton. Yes. Oh my gosh. How how do you even move it to the fair? That is a good question because you have to have a forklift or a heavy gang of friends that are going to help you get that to the fair because that is... That's amazing. No kidding. And, you know, cabbage, uh, giant cabbage contests are really um, important. Uh-huh. <laughs> and in uh, at the Alaska State Fair in Palmer, Alaska, they have a 
giant cabbage way off every year, which is one of the premier events of the fair. And the whole nice. arena is packed with people waiting to watch cabbages get weighed. And the world record for the cabbage <laughs> was set there a few years ago, like over 138 pounds. For a cabbage? For a cabbage. Each, each leaf can weigh as much as three or four pounds. Oh, my gosh. How, I know. How big amazing. is it? That's got to be obviously bigger than a basketball. Oh, they're, they're huge. They can be two feet across just the cabbage wow. itself. And then with all the leaves, it's, it's pretty amazing to yeah. see that in, in action. Uh-huh. And the reason why is that they have really good soil, but they also get 20 hours of sunshine exactly. every day in summer. Yeah. And they use special uh, breeds of giant cabbages to get to be that Together. size. And, and you also mentioned onions. And onions, uh, giant onion contests are really popular in England. Uh-huh. Not We have jumbo onion contests and fairs around the United States, but they have giant onion contests across the pond. And uh-huh. I think the world record for a giant onion is 18 pounds, 11 ounces. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's an amazing pumpkin. And there's some pictures in my book of that that giant pumpkin or that giant onion and it's incredible i I have to tell you i'm blown away over here i had no idea (laughs) well yes the the giant vegetable growing Uh contests are really a separate breed of gardeners because (laughs) that is an exceptional challenge to be able to Mm -hmm. grow those giant vegetables and it pays off because for those contests you don't get little cash prizes they can be thousands of dollars oh, in wow. cash prizes wow you get giant cash prizes yes, yes. <laughs> giant wow. prizes to match your giant vegetables <laughs> yeah exactly wow how cool I, I, t- t- really truly i'm blown away this is incredible so you've got my attention now so oh, okay <laughs> I, i'm gonna be a first time competitor at the coming up fall fair here in arizona got some advice for me well, I think that the best advice is to really study that show book. Oh, yeah. Okay, because good. that that will be your guide to what you can take and what the judges will be looking for. Uh-huh. And usually the judges are looking for, for entries that they can disqualify right off the bat because either there aren't enough vegetables on the plate, mm. the stems aren't trimmed, they aren't all the same color. Uh, So if you can get to the point where you've got that perfect, you match perfectly Uh with what they're looking for, then you have a good chance to win. Got it. So it sounds to me like that probably speaks to uh, selecting the best variety to to grow as well. Right. I, I recommend that people really think about the varieties that and the, or the cultivars that they want to plant to take to the fair. You can win uh-huh. by just going out into your garden the day of the contest and looking around and, and picking what looks good and taking that. Or you can start early in the season and really study up on the cultivars that have potential for being winners. Uh-huh. You can look for clues in their names, mm. like trophy tomatoes. Oh, yeah. That, that gives you a clue that somebody had good luck with that uh-huh. at a fair in the past, and it might be a winner for you. There's contender bush beans and oh, yeah. prize winner leeks, and so those names give you a good, oh, cool. good insight into their potential. 
Okay, what's the trick to having vegetables ready in time for a state fair? Well, you do a little bit of uh, horticultural hocus pocus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> and you, I recommend that people start at the with the date of the fair in mind mm-hmm. and count back from that date and match the days of maturity of your vegetables oh, to the yeah. day of the contest. Oh, perfect. And that will help you get a little closer to a prime planting date to make sure your vegetables and fruits are ready in time for the contest. Yeah. You just do a little bit of matching with those dates for every yeah. uh, cultivar that you're growing. Perfect. So what are judges looking for in winners? Well, they're looking for the uh, prime, what they call the market ideal. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't changed since fairs uh, and competitions started. Uh-huh. That the judges are always looking for what is the market ideal. And you can ask yourself when you're looking at your vegetables, what would I buy at the farmer's market or mm-hmm. at the grocery store? And it is, it's just the perfect example of that tomato or that pepper, that cult, that particular hybrid or mm-hmm. that heirloom that has all of the qualities, that uh, it's the right size, it's the right color, it's, you know, fresh tasting. Uh-huh. They often will cut into a piece of fruit to see if it's, all right. if the seeds are fully developed mm-hmm. on the inside. And those are other ways that they can disqualify entries. Got it. They don't meet that standard. Yeah. Wow. How about some best practices for growing prize-winning produce? Well, growing a healthy garden is probably the, the key point. Oh, yeah. That having good soil to start with and spending a lot of time in your garden so that you can catch any problems that might crop up that uh-huh. you can notice when there are might be some insects that are getting oh, to yeah. the vegetables or, you know, keeping up with your watering and definitely keeping up with fertilizing throughout the season. Perfect. So can you talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it? So just one time, huh? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) There's a lot lot of them that I could count, but because there have been a lot of disappointing gardening seasons, I guess that I... I, I, I heard this saying once, and I really glommed onto it, and it says that if you're not killing plants, you're not really gardening. <laughs> oh, and that's so, good. So that really made me feel better uh-huh. because that proves that you are, that you're trying, that you're trying, you're putting things in the ground, you're using your best practices, you're trying your hardest, and if things don't cooperate well, that's okay because that's part of gardening. Yeah. And I really follow that philosophy that I have. I look at my whole landscape as a big experiment and I see what works well and what I won't try again. And there are plants that I've tried that didn't do well in one spot and uh-huh. then I try them somewhere else and they have better success. So it's just a constant challenge to find the, putting the right plant in the right place. Yeah. That's the experimenting part. I tell people here in the desert, growing food is one great big grand experiment. Get out there and grow. Yes. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success? 
Well, writing that Blue Ribbon Vegetable Gardening book was was a big success, I think, because I had really set my sights on trying to find a, a new approach to vegetable gardening that hadn't been covered before. And uh-huh. when I looked for, I wanted to enter some contests, and I looked for books on how to grow Blue Ribbon mm. Vegetables, and there was nothing that had been published in the last 100 years, oh, wow. so I thought it was time time to do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think that was a big success. I had so much fun doing the research and writing that book, talking to gardeners all across the country and uh-huh. getting some of their best ideas for growing beautiful fruits and vegetables. But I think another part of that success is that I've been able to create a career that's based on what I absolutely love to do. Mm-hmm. So I love to write, and I love to grow things, and to make a career out of that, I think that that was probably my biggest life success. Yeah, wow. How cool is that? So I want to talk about your book a little bit. Let's let's jump sure. in here, given you mentioned it. Tell us about your book. How big is it? What do you cover? You know, yeah, like that. Well, the Blue Ribbon Vegetable Gardening is, like, as I said, it was really a labor of love, and it includes a little bit of the history of fairs and how fairs got started in this country and how important they were to the nation's economy when we were still just uh, newly independent from Great Britain and struggling uh-huh. to become self-sufficient. So there's a little bit of history, which I think is lays the context for why fairs are so important today mm-hmm. and why we need to keep that heritage alive. And then there is a section on best practices for growing a healthy garden. And then the book has 10 chapters, and each chapter is dedicated to a different fruit or vegetable that just about anyone can grow in any space that they have. Uh So these are uh, beans and beets and tomatoes and peppers and squash, which are also the most common entries in state fairs or in in fairs. So each chapter goes into great depth on best cultivars and the best practices, a little bit of history on each vegetable, because I think that's that was fascinating to all me, that. where vegetables came from, all these wild plants and how they got tamed, but it took hundreds of years for that to happen. And then uh, best practices for growing each one of those, and in each chapter I talk to other gardeners around the country, mm-hmm. some experts uh, like the um, head of uh, Dixondale Farms in Carrizo, Texas. He, they grow about a billion onion plants, and so throughout the country. And yes, with a bee. Wow. And I thought, well, he might know a little something about onion growing. Oh no, kidding! So I tapped his brain on uh, the best practices for growing great onions, and so that's included. And in one chapter, I talked to a grower in Iowa. Uh, Don Francis, who takes over a hundred different categories of vegetables to the Iowa State Fair every year. Whoa, really? Yes, and he he just has all kinds of ideas on on how to c- compete with vegetables and grow great gardens. Uh-huh. And I also talked to Jared Gettle with Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. Oh, good, love them. 
he's really into eggplant hunting, and so I tapped his brain for growing eggplants and some other folks across the country and their ideas about competing and how to compete and, and why and what they get out of it. And yeah. so it, and there is a good portion of uh, the cabbage chapter on how to grow giant cabbages, mm-hmm. <laughs> in case you're interested. You know, this we've done almost 100 podcasts, and this one's going to go down in history as the biggest podcast. <laughs> Talking about the biggest onions and the biggest... Uh, yeah, pumpkins and cabbages. Wow, how cool! And what's really fun um, about the uh, giant pumpkins at one contest that we have here in the Denver area. Uh-huh. After the contest is over and they've declared a winner, they'll take one of the runners up, maybe an eight hundred or nine hundred pound pumpkin, and raise it up on a crane. Oh my gosh! About about a hundred feet in the air. And then just release it onto the asphalt. And when that 900-pound pumpkin hits the ground, it just sounds like an explosion. Wow. And pumpkin pieces and seeds go <laughs> flying. And then as soon as it, all of that settles, all the kids run out there and try to grab those seeds so seeds. that they can try their hands yeah. at growing a giant pumpkin the next year. It's so much fun. So, And here's, here's another reason this uh, episode is going down in history. You cracked James up. James is the uh, editor here of the podcast. He's sitting over here just cracking up over that. <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. So what drives you? Well, it drives me. Hmm, besides making money to buy more plants? <laughs> <laughs> I got that problem, too. I hear yeah, you. Yeah, I, I think that it's helping inspire folks to plant a seed and mm-hmm. try to trying to grow their own food. I I really think that that's an important thing for people to be able to do. Yeah. I know that a lot of folks that I talk, you know, I do a lot of public speaking at, around the country and people, especially younger folks will come up afterwards and ask me all kinds of questions mm-hmm. about this is my first year and I'm unsure about this and I don't know how to do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm afraid it's not going to work. And I just have to tell them it's okay. You know, seeds want to sprout. Plants Mm. want to grow. Just don't be afraid. Plant your seeds. You'll be surprised. And the rewards are, there's so many rewards in, in doing it. And so I I really want to inspire people to, do that to, to plant and grow their own food and i i love being able to help new gardeners solve those gardening issues yeah and i love get, being out in the natural world my garden is just alive with the plants but also there are birds and bees and butterflies and other insects mm-hmm. and squirrels and uh, all kinds of things and i just um, i love that part of the wildlife yeah. part of the gardening too. Yay. So I'm all about education and I have to know, is there one book that has been significantly impactful for you in this process? Well, yes. You know, there have been a lot of different books at different stages of my life. Mm-hmm. But when I was really starting to get into gardening as a, as a 
my hobby and my you know vocation and avocation. Yeah. The book The Frugal Gardener uh, by Catriona Erler yeah. uh, really helped me get my first landscape started. She has so many great ideas in there on how to save money while you're gardening mm-hmm. because it can be an expensive hobby. But <laughs> yeah. But I bought a used copy of her book, <laughs> <laughs> that frugal gardener, and it uh, really served me well, and it just inspired me so much. Nice, nice. So, what one final piece of advice you have for our listeners? Uh, eat your vegetables. <laughs> well, that's an easy one. <laughs> well, I and besides that, I think just jump in and get started. Yeah. That uh, don't be afraid to plant a seed and just get started you'll you'll learn more by doing than by reading or watching somebody else do it or anything else is nothing like um, experimenting in your own yard and your own garden with what you want to grow perfect well thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today jody it's been a treat chatting with you Well, thank you, Greg. I really appreciated the opportunity. Absolutely. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Well, they can visit my website, Mm westerngardeners.com, or they can email me at Jody, J-O-D-I, at westerngardeners.com, and I'll be happy to try to answer questions and help them with their gardens if possible. Perfect. And your book, where can we find it? Well, Blue Ribbon Vegetable Gardening is available online, but it's also available at local bookstores. And if you want to order a copy, just let them know, and they'll be glad to stock a copy for you. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Thank you, Greg. Did you know the best seeds for your garden don't come from the nursery? In fact, the seeds that will create the most robust and delicious fruits and vegetables come directly from your garden. This is because they are uniquely adapted to your growing conditions, better than anything you can buy from a fancy catalog or website. Through the magic of seed saving, it is quite possible to have the garden of your dreams. The best part is, saving your own seeds is surprisingly easy and fun. With a bit of instruction, anyone can become a seed-saving superstar. Let us teach you how in our free seed-saving webinar. Just text SEEDS to 33444 to sign up or visit SeedSavingHacked.org for more information. That's SEEDS to 33444 or visit SeedSavingHacked.org. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed 
or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.